You have to come out sooner or later. And when you do, we'll tear you into little pieces and throw you in the deadly desert. I haven't done anything to you. Isn't that a stolen lunch bail in your hand? Isn't that a chicken in there with you? Chicken! The Gnome King doesn't allow chickens anywhere in Oz. Who's the Gnome King? Who is the Gnome King? <laughs> Well, that was scary. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say that about sums it up. That's if you need to explain Return to Oz to anyone. We're not even going to do an episode. But that's it. That, that's it's all yeah. you need to know I about think Return to Oz. That sets the tone <laughs> really nicely. <laughs> Hello and welcome to 14 Months Apart. I am your host, Bob Barrow. And I am your co-host, Jacqueline Barrow. Well, we like to welcome you guys back. We know we had a bit of a gap uh, between episodes. There, a little uh, bit. Good old real world. Just. Just uh, dealing with stuff, cleaning yeah. up messes. Yeah, loves to uh, loves to rear its head at the most inopportune times. But we are back for episode number five. Whoa, we're like a whole hand. Yeah, <laughs> we're just a fist of podcasts. Yeah, I That's, knew that was gonna get weird. Yeah, you can't you can't give me those uh, those moments because I'm just gonna make it disgusting. But yes, episode number five. We thought we'd do something a little special this time uh, after coming off. We hope you guys have had a chance to listen to our last episode where we talked about Jack's favorite book and movie. Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I don't think you can say those statements in tandem like that. <laughs> but you did. Yeah, not with a straight face. No. So uh, so we're doing something a little different this week. We are going to be looking at what may be Jackie's... Jacqueline, sorry. Jack's. <laughs> Let's try and edit that out. Jack's big thing, I guess you could say. I had Ghostbusters growing up. And Jack, what are we talking about this week? We are talking about the 1939 Victor Fleming Wizard of Oz. Ooh, Woo! The tingles. <laughs> Followed by 1985's, <laughs> 1985's um, Walter Murch's Return to Oz. Yes, and then some smattering of other Oz things Ozian in things. there. So... Whereas I I said, growing up for me, it was Ghostbusters. Which there have been a lot of in this house lately. Yes. uh, I guess before we talk about Oz, um, Jack, uh, tell us about Sawyer's new obsession, which makes his uncle so proud. Well, my three-year-old is currently obsessed with Ghostbusters. Like, the original. Like, the real thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Not I d- the real Ghostbusters. The real original No, I just don't want to confuse it with that thing that happened with all the girls <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a couple years ago, because that's not Ghostbusters. Um, he watched it one day. I thought he'd be terrified, and he was fascinated. Fascinated. So we've been watching it on repeat for a couple weeks now. We've got yeah. the toys. <laughs> we've got the lines. <laughs> yep. I guess I understand a little bit, because I did that, when, mm-hmm. well, forever as a child, yeah. so it's uh, it's genetic, I think. It must be, but he's he is right into it. He got another little Playmobil set today from the dollar store. Yeah. <laughs> he's You watched the meltdown after dinner when Marty took it away, so. Yeah, he couldn't have the, uh, the little toy PKE meter at the table, and uh, it was calamity. It was dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Yeah, so. pretty much. <laughs> but with Oz... You have a bit of a bias, I think. You were destined I to think go I down was the yellow brick road. Destined. Um, my middle name is Dorothy. <laughs> my first middle name. Okay. Um, and I think it that just ended up being this 
crazy kind of coincidence, I think. But I have always gravitated towards that. Don't know what it was. Can't remember ever first watching it. I just don't remember my life without the movie. So you don't remember a time where mom and dad were like, hey, Dorothy, come and you need to see this because... No, I don't even remember a time where dad didn't call me Dorothy. My dad's pet name for me, he calls me Dorothy, um, which just fits so perfectly yeah. into the whole thing. That's <laughs> our father-daughter dance at my wedding with the Wizard of Oz, the original recording by, or Somewhere Over the Rainbow, sorry, uh, intermixed with the Time Warp flash mob. And then we went <laughs> back from Rocky Horror Picture Show, and then we went back to Somewhere Over the Rainbow to finish it out, which is a great definition of kind of what our family's all about that really sums up the uh it was amazing it was one of those movie moments but um i wore red slippers under my wedding dress (laughs) (laughs) at least you didn't go come out and gingham like oh no that's a little too much no a subtle nod like yeah Yeah. i'm not that obsessed as an adult a (laughs) functioning wizard of oz themed wedding no um but it's just something that i always remember being a part of who I am, so... Do you think it's something... Because we'll, we'll get in and we'll start digging apart the movie here in a second, but do you think there's something specific? Because obviously there's that kind of hero's journey that she goes on, but was there some, like, one part you know, or another that kind of resonated? I've been or? thinking about this over the years because I don't really think Dorothy's all that awesome. She's kind of a passive character until you get to Return to Oz. Um... She kind of just goes with the flow, which isn't really my personality. Like, I don't see my personality echoed in her character. No, not at all. In Especially in the first movie. <laughs> say that in the nicest way. Well, but she doesn't no. ram her way through life the way that I tend to do. Yeah. <clears throat> so, I think it's this idea of going to another world. I love books and movies that, that the hero, 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 or heroine, yeah. um, whether they're young or old, they get transported into another world, and then they got to find their way back. Well, it's that classic archetype. You could even say, you know, it's Oz, Alice in Wonderland, uh, yes. more recently uh, Clive Barker's Aberat books. Yeah. Which I think she's a little more like you because she's a very active yeah, character in, in Aberat. Yeah, in Barker's series, for yeah. sure. I, I There's just something about, and then the world that you're going to is actually mirroring the real world. So you you lose that connection between reality and the dreamscape. I love the the buddy story, like um, the friends, and I don't know what it, it, just something that was in my soul. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to explain without being super cheesemo. Um, I don't know. Well, I answering questions like that, that's a loaded question. Yeah, right? I didn't like, have time to think about it. Thanks, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that. That's what I do. Well, it's people have asked me the same, I guess you could flip it to me, why Ghostbusters? I'm like, I have no idea. Yeah. I have no memory of mom and dad showing it to me more than anything else. They never pushed the, the cartoon or the toys on me more than anything else. It's just, I've always found with fandom, whatever it is, your fandom generally picks you. you yeah. Most people don't go out saying, now I'm going to be an anime kid, or now I'm going to be really into D&D. Or horror, no, or it metal, just, or it Wizard of Oz. It is something that resonates with you. So there had to have been something. Um, I mean, I like Dorothy, but I always critiqued it like, well, I would have done this. <laughs> Dorothy the small and meek. The hell's that all about? Well, let's, let's dive into the movie itself. Talking about Wizard of Oz, at least the first movie, is almost difficult because it is... 
it is classic in a way that it actually transcends the fact that it's a movie. It almost mm-hmm. doesn't matter anymore that The Wizard of Oz is a movie. It's modern mythology. It is, and it's be, it's really become part of at least the North American culture. And I know um, Return to Oz has a huge international cult following. I'm, I can't speak to the first one, although I'm sure it is, mm-hmm. or does. Um, there's just something that was so groundbreaking for the time. At the time it came out, too. Yes, and I think if you wanted to just show someone, like, what does the golden era of Hollywood mean? Like, what is that classic... Hollywood. Oh, 1939 like. really did it well. Like, if you're going to show them a handful of movies, like you could show them, you know, uh, the Ginger Rogers Fred Astaire movies. You could show them, like, His Girl Friday, Gone with the Wind. But Wizard of Oz, really, at least to me, because it's MGM and they yeah. had a very glossy style. Oh, of course. Everything. All of the alcoholism and the domestic violence was just painted over with Technicolor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's to me, that's exactly what old Hollywood looks like. Yeah. It's that perfect sheen as soon as we transition out of out of Kansas into Oz, that plastic flowers, everything so perfect that it it become it transcends its fakeness because it's and, so alive and, I think and it's artificiality. Because it was so early in that birth of Hollywood, we haven't yet got to those movies that mom used to show us with all the synchronized swimming and all the crazy... You know what I'm talking... When she watched... Yeah, well, that, that stuff was happening at the time by 39. But it's... This is so different because it's... It's a musical, but it's completely based in an artificial reality. But it isn't... Well, it's she's in her dream, and you could say all that. But what I mean is, the the classic Hollywood musicals, by and large, were set in the real world. In quotes, right? right? They were happening in in ballrooms and mansions and city streets. They were a world that we knew. Mm-hmm. I don't. I'm sure there were movies at the time that, on this scale took us into a world that was complete, a world of pure imagination. Yeah, and and we said that. It had a lot of, there's a lot of reminiscent parts of what would come later in the 70s that um, Willy Wonka. Oh, definitely. There's a lot of Willy Wonka, or Oz and Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. But even the epics, because this is a big film. It was huge. The only other, well, there was big ones, but it went up against Gone with the Wind for best film. Yeah. At the Oscars that year. Um, and if anyone hasn't seen Gone with the Wind, don't bother. Oh, really? No. I thought it was... I sobbed. Really? Logan was a newborn and he was lying beside me the whole time. I sobbed. I don't... I wouldn't watch it again. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm shocked that you enjoyed it. Like, it looks great. I was really postpartum, so who okay. knows if I really If you watched it now, I think you'd be enraged. Because there, it doesn't help that all the uh, the slave apologists or apologism that's in it. It starts with a simpler time when slaves were slaves and white people oh, were in charge. well, yes. If and you then he literally rapes his wife. Yeah. Like, it is horrific. Oz is... Such a better film. It is, and I agree with you totally. I just that stuff you kind of have to put in perspective of the time. Very That's true. not to say it's okay, but it captures an, an era oh, and a mindset perfectly, perfectly. And when you that is, it's funny because you would look at Wizard of Oz as more of a musical than the. Uh, you wouldn't be, I guess, totally familiar with this. The epic genre. There used to be its own genre called oh. the epics, where these were mostly the biblical epics. Uh, oh, Ben-Hur. Ten Commandments, Ben-Hur, Gone with the Wind, you could consider one because it's so 
massive. Oh, right, yeah. And to me, The Wizard of Oz has that grandeur, but There's no all shot in it. on all shot on sound stages. And you're right, it is a very well, I guess you could say there's no arrogance to it, but it's a very innocent film. It's innocent and at the time, at the same time not being, but I think that it just speaks to the audience so intimately, whereas Gone with the Wind is just, it's more about the spectacle and the story and how big yeah. and brash can MGM go, where, where usually when people or cultures are at the height of entertainment, it's when they're about to Flippin' nosedive, and yeah. we're about to go into World War II. Yeah. World War II's happening. In America's America not in yet, but they know that we're at a tipping point with fascism and communism and all that stuff. So what are they going to do? They're going to keep the people happy. Give them and bread. It's, and it's true. Like you, cake. The fact that you have this movie coming out of, of Hollywood right at the peak of, you know, the the breath before the fall. Now, that being said, I read an interesting article a couple weeks ago that looked at it really critically from the time that it was made. And if you look at the fact that all of the leaders um, in Oz are just blindly followed for no reason. Dorothy didn't really kill anybody actively. Mm -hmm. She accidentally killed the witch. The witch charmed all of the people in or cursed them into following her. Um, and then they believe the wizard who just guy popped out of nowhere was a real parallel to fascism. And we have this marvelous man that's standing up on a podium or a woman and saying, you need to follow me and believe me. And Oz is just blindly following them. Even in this article to the fact where they said the way that they designed the Emerald City was so art deco, which is the era that we're in 1939. Yeah. It wasn't um, fantastical looking. It, it looked like some scape you would see in Las Vegas Strip. Yeah. That it really is mirroring what's going on at the time. People are just blindly thinking it's wonderful. Well, that's that's so typical of Hollywood at that point because we're now we're now into the Hayes Code, which was the first of the restrictions put upon Hollywood. Okay. Uh, after because if you if you go back and look at silent film, there's some fucking wonderful horrible shit that they do in those movies. There's sex and violence and nudity and gore and crazy stuff that happen. And then after the Fatty Arbuckle debacle in the 20s, they started the... Censorship. Yeah, censorship. So it was self-censorship by the studio. So you couldn't overtly say anything anymore. So the fact that they snuck in all of these little hints and clues to stuff doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, and it, you don't get it until you look at it critically, and maybe they didn't mean to, but this article was really interesting in saying, like, hey, if this movie was made in the 50s and 60s, it would have been totally different. Because yeah. we would have been post-war era, we would have been into the Red Scare with communism, and it would have been way more censored. Yeah, and it would have been, I think, way more obvious, maybe. Yeah. Also, with the because they could be, you could have an anti-communist message, right? But at the time, having a bit of an anti-fascist message was oddly taboo because the studios couldn't be seen as warmongering. So even though everyone was gearing up because they knew it was coming, because Hollywood was run by Jewish people, and they knew because they had all escaped. Yeah. They had all come over here and got jobs. <laughs> So, and also given the troubled production, they shot the movie how many times? At least twice. So, there, yeah, there's a huge history to the film itself. And if you ever get a chance to look into it, 
we can't talk about all of it. No, it would take you countless really, books, countless documentaries. Yeah, hours and hours of research. But they initially had casted Shirley Temple as the role of oh. Judy Garland. Ugh. I know. Um, but she was Hollywood's starlet, and this was a huge movie, and this is who was cast and in the blockbusters of the day. She was age-appropriate. Dorothy's supposed to be between 10 and 14 years old, however yeah. you kind of read the stories. And they ended up not being able to because there was an issue with test audiences not liking how bleak the story actually is, and then we put this little beautiful ray of sunshine in it. So then they decided to cast Judy Garland, who was 19 at the time. So there was a lot of, a lot of chest binding. Yeah. She's um, taped into she's that She's taped kingdom. into that dress. Uh, actually, when mom first told me about that, that they bound, they used binders. I actually thought like school binders <laughs> for a long time until I realized because I was little. They filmed it with her as a, a curly blonde. Yeah. And that was with the silver slipper version. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then the silver slippers weren't reading on screen properly, um, even in Technicolor. Mm-hmm. So that's why they changed it to ruby. But the originals are silver. There's no mention of rubies. In the books. In no. the books. Um, and then, so then when they decided the test audiences didn't like her as a blonde, she came across as too bimbo-y. Uh, they refilmed with her in that classic look that we know, the pigtails. There was some issues with some of the cast members of to no follow their own. Mm-hmm. Um, the Tin Man almost died during shooting uh, because of the lead-based makeup that the they used. Makeup, was it lead or was it the aluminum? Aluminum. Yeah. Because yeah. he ended up inhaling uh, yeah. all of the aluminum powder that was in his makeup. Yes. And they, uh, excuse me, I forget his name, the first guy. Is it? I want to say Ray Bolger, Ray, but that's not Ray right. Ray Bolger's the scarecrow. Yeah. It's, um, it's Jed Clampett from Beverly yes. Hillbillies. But you can see the original footage, too, if you get, like, an extended version, or I'm sure it's up on YouTube, um, because he got so ill so late into the filming, they had to redo it again um, with uh, Jack Haley. Mm-hmm. Um, the witch got incredibly... Yeah. Margaret Hamilton got incredibly burned. You tell the story because I've been Well, that's even, I tend Hey, no, it's good. that We have another voice, another <laughs> barrel rambling. No, the uh, the famous scene where she sh- the witch shows up in Munchkin Land and is harassing everybody, the I'll get you my pretty and your little dog too, and the smoke comes up, that beautiful orange or red smoke. It's probably so cancer-causing. Oh, my God. Everything was cancer-causing back then. (laughs) And as the trap door that's in the set, as she's lowered into it, there was supposed to be fire and smoke that came out. Well, the cannons and everything went off before she was down. Yeah. So the fire hit her right in the face and set her makeup on fire. Because back then it would have been all oil-based. Oil ba- and real oil-based. Yeah. Not like all the different safe oils and stuff we have now. So her makeup is on fire. Not including her hair and her wardrobe and everything. But it's like napalm. Like they have oh, to, yeah. Like what do you do? Like get her head underwater? So she was horribly burned by that. I believe years later she was actually on an episode of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And was talking about witches and makeup and what had happened to yes, her. Yes, she was. Yeah. So what didn't Mr. Rogers And she, do? you know what, Margaret Hamilton too, I remember reading, never wanted to be portrayed as a, a bad guy. So she had turned down the role a couple times. Um, and then they just passed, the studios passed her enough that she finally took it. But then she was, found herself typecast, I think, for the oh, rest yeah. of her life. And that was so destructive to her because she was a Mr. Rogers type, um, if you want to look at personality. Well, it's her, 
her witch, I think, is, and I think everyone would agree, is the quintessential witch. If you ask a, a little kid or a 90-year-old uh, person, what's a witch look like? Oh, green crone with the long nose and the pointy hat. Well, and like, I believe the green came for this movie. Well, I, I, would, I would imagine so. I don't even know the history of portrayals. I, I know that old crone look mm-hmm. was was well established with the mythology of witches, but if you look at screen representation, yeah. kids' costumes, how many kids do you still see and have seen forever out at Halloween, little girls or little boys with green faces and pointy hats? It's her. And she doesn't do it cheesy. Any other portrayal after that comes across as cheesy, but the acting in every f- character is so good. And even in the sequel, too. Well, it's everyone is so committed to to this dreamlike atmosphere. And with old Hollywood, these people are professionals. And there's no fucking around. You're there all day, every day. And those poor guys in that poor makeup that, oh, my God. My oh, yeah. Goes out I can't even imagine what it was like. Well, what did the, the lion suit weigh? Something like, you said, 60 pounds, 70 pounds? Oh, like 200 pounds. Yeah. Like, it's just mental. And... Prosthetics back then aren't what they are like today with liquid latex and all those things that are, to a point, breathe. They're still very cumbersome and tiring to wear. But nowadays, somebody in a full suit like this, like those three, they would have cooling suits on under their costume that's running cold water. They'd have cooling tents that they'd go to afterwards. They'd have all of this technology available yeah, not to them. them. Back then... No, put them in a 75-pound, you know, cat suit and put them in hard plastic and rubber. It would have been a nightmare. Yeah. And these guys are dancing, Mm -hmm. singing and dancing. You see the way that the scarecrow... In California. Yeah. (laughs) In In the studio under those insane old lights. And I know what it's like to be in costume on a a stage in theater under the lights. Like, my Van Helsing costume was horrifically hot with a wool, old wool thing yeah. on. So I can only imagine what this was like. And we that was an air-conditioning building. And imagine with a full headpiece on. Nope. With, <laughs> no. And the makeup back then, oh, I used to know the word for it. It's a, I would assume it's a plastic that they use. It's the same makeup they used on the original Frankenstein. Okay. And it's built up layer by layer. Or it would have been very basic, rock-hard prosthetics. Well, the lion looks them. like it. it's pretty hard that... His, his, his top. upper lip and yeah. everything. The Scarecrows looks a little more loosey-goosey. And you made a comment about how amazing the I, Scarecrows makeup I haven't in. watched The Wizard of Oz in a while. So to sit and watch it, I'm going to pick out the technical details. Because yeah. I, I just can't stop myself. But looking at, you know, the I can see where all the lines are on the line. still looks great. Tin Man has just got a fake nose, a hat on, and he's painted silver. But you look at the Scarecrow, and... It is an incredible makeup that he's wearing. The way that it blends into his face, and I think he's wearing a cowl, and then they would they blended it into his face. Yeah, blended it in so well. And then you see it coming down off his neck. If you're really anal, you can see some of the lines, but he brings all three of them bring so much and push through that makeup, especially the lion. Oh, he's my favorite. Oh my god, the amount that he gets through that with. If you look at it, such limited motion. 
He's got a permanent scowl on his face. So all he's really moving is a bit of his bottom lip and his eyes. But it's that tail and his, yeah. his paws that he keeps flicking. And well, you see how physically dramatic they are in the makeup. because Except the Tin Man, who's actually very restrained because you can he, see most of his face. He is restrained, but at the same time, his movements, like when he's scared of, of the wizard and he's shaking that whole <laughs> costume. And I know there's sound effects going on too, but he, he moves like you would figure a Tin Man to move. Yeah. And they, they sell it. And that's the thing is some some classic era movies that we talked about, Gone with the Wind, you can watch that from a historical perspective and mm-hmm. kind of marvel at it. But you if you follow that story, it's like, I'm bored. And the story's horrible. Yeah. There's nothing really bad in The Wizard of Oz that ages it out. Because obviously things are products of their time. You know, even some of the, the great movies of, of the 20s and 30s, you look at now, they're horribly sexist, horribly racist, and that's all the way up through 50s, 60s, 70s. Don't watch American Pie. It's aging badly. Oh, like, yeah, we watched it a couple it's months ago. horrific. I can't even believe those things got by the censors. Yeah. But at the time, in any time, those things are acceptable for the culture. But there's... That's the kind of great thing about The Wizard of Oz. Well, There's... it's a feminist story almost. Like, it's her. Mm-hmm. She's doing it. She kills the witch. She doesn't... It's not a love story where the princess needs to find the man. Maybe that's why I liked it. Because I always hated those princess, Disney princess stories, the quintessential ones, where they, their story wasn't fixed until they found a man. And then, then I thought that's what I had to model my life after. But Dorothy, she just... she's fucking sick of her situation mm-hmm. she gets out of it and she gets back well she's out taking care of it and we have you know the our main characters are all women women yeah you know you starting have, with the nm she's a freaking boss yeah she doesn't take no shit hand no crullers no. <laughs> <laughs> she gets it done you know we have her dorothy glinda or glinda the witch there's so much of that, and I think maybe that's why something like The Princess Bride never appealed to us. Yeah, I hated that movie. And I know there's going to be people listening that are died in the wool, and it's fine. You can love The Princess Bride. I wish I liked it because it's just another movie to love. But I just don't give a shit about No, the and Bride. I think you're either a tried-and-true Wizard of Oz fan or you're Princess Bride. You don't sit in the middle. <laughs> Unless you just don't care about anything. I just... Either you like this one or you like that one. But that is the, the Disney princess story. It's a love story. Yeah. I didn't want a love story when I was a kid. I wanted... And that's why I like all those YA books, the post-apocalyptic stuff, Girl Who in a City, when it's a girl getting shit done. Well, it's someone going on an adventure, meeting friends, overcoming obstacles, and resolving the situation. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the basic, and I think that's why it continues to resonate. Something like Wizard of Oz, they can can make their sequels and do anything they want with it, but the original will never go out of style because it is officially timeless. It can't it can't age out of the culture. The the magic of the sets and the effects can't ever go away. No. That tornado still looks terrifying yeah. eighty years later because this week actually is the eightieth anniversary, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it is. Of the film. It is. So that film's eighty years old. Put it on and watch that tornado. It's moving like a thing alive. And it's just an old nylon sock. You can find the footage of them in the photos. It's just mm-hmm. a it's a nylon. It's your mom's nylon. Yeah, that, that's crazy. It really is. And you're right. It's a timeless story. 
that really translates even to now. Like Sawyer, we watched it with my three-year-old, and um, he was a little bored with the black and white, but as soon as that Technicolor came in, there wasn't many spots where he transferred back to playing with his toys. Well, I think that that pop, because you, you have kind of the excitement of Dorothy's, you know, having her exorcist-style bed flying around and the unnecessary bad rear projection <laughs> of people at the windows. So unnecessary. Yeah. But as soon as she opens that door, it is... Technicolor bitches! Yeah, it's really just <laughs> mic drop. Like, I, can't, I can't imagine what it was like to see that in theaters oh, at the amazing. time. It must have been kind of that same feeling of people that saw Star Wars. You know, all of a sudden you're, you live in one world and then boom, you see something you've never seen before. Yeah. And that moment is still magical to see because that would have been just the set painted brown because it's not even a black and white film at the start. It's sepia. Yeah. It's the color of dirt. Kansas. Yeah. And it's all the, the, they could have gone in location to shoot it, but you get this beautiful, it's a wide open space, even though it's just a cyclorama on a set. But you feel so claustrophobic in Dorothy's world. It's You're looking at these vistas, but you feel like she could reach out and touch it because she can. It's just and a it's set never wall. ending. But that's, yeah. And I, one of the things, because we talked about a little earlier, how it's kind of buried in the culture. The film was a success at the time, but it wasn't Gone with the Wind, which the studio no. was kind of hoping. Because you have, a, I believe it was King Vidor directed Gone with the Wind, and he came and supervised some of the reshoots on The Wizard of Oz. Because there's like three or four different directors. Yeah, Victor Fleming wasn't the original. No, but he directed most of what stayed. Yeah. So he won the fight to have his name on it. But there's at least three, maybe four, that had a hand in it. But it's one of the first movies... Along with, I would say, It's a Wonderful Life, that it survives because of TV. It was one yeah. of those annual TV well, watches. It's like played in January or something. Dad was always watching for it to come on TV. Well, it was uh, TBS and Ted Turner. He owned it or he had the rights to it. So back in the day, if a TV station bought the rights to a movie, they showed the shit out of it. So it became kind of this thing. I mean, no, we had you had the tape. So we watched the hell out of that. But it was still a movie that if we were flipping channels and Wizard of Oz was on TV, you'd slap that remote at it. Oh, yeah, it was staying on. Yeah, we would just sit and watch it. So it's it's fun to see the way that it's survived, and it's great to watch it with young people. Like, find a couple of young kids, hopefully that you know. Like, don't yeah, catch don't, them off the street or anything. Ew. But, uh, you know, and watch it through their eyes because it's still delightfully magical and what it so Sawyer was afraid of the witch and I remember him saying through the movie the bad witch is green the bad witch is green (laughs) just trying to like separate the two so that he knew because we're also telling him that Glinda was a witch but you're right watching it through a kid's eyes especially watching him react to the lion which I just as much as I gravitate towards the scarecrow because I've always had people in my life um, that were the scarecrow to me. I remember when I did The Secret Garden and there was a character, uh, Mr. Craven, who played my uncle. His name was Ty Greed. His name is Ty Greed. Um, he was my scarecrow. He was this tall, thin guy who just made being in that show so incredible. And 
when it was time to leave that show, of course, you cry, and I'm 12, and I'm dramatic, and I probably wrote letters to everybody. It's the one you miss most of all. I did. I said that to him. (laughs) He'll be the one I miss most of all. Um, But the lion is hilarious. (laughs) Which is funny, because I have no memory of you enjoying the lion more than, because for me, I would think about you in that movie, and it's the scarecrow. Yeah. I think as I've just grown older and come to appreciate that subtle humor, like, even his um, King of the Forest song is one of the best songs in the whole movie that whole scene well it's it's a song that advances character Mm -hmm. and that's what's so great about the music in this movie is there's nothing worse than a musical especially an old hollywood musical where they stop the movie for a song oh um the one i hate the most is in white christmas when they do that weird that's choreography that's choreography Uh, doesn't fit in the movie at all there's no reason for it no it's just to show some dancing and we need to pat it out yeah, that's, that's a perfect example. I was going to say that or the entire film Corpse Bride. Right. Oh, my God. Shoot me in the head. I did like some of the music in that, but it it didn't advance the plot. But in this movie, every single song that's in there mm. is there for a purpose. Well, you're not bored by any of them. You get to another song and it's like, oh, great, there's another song. You know, and the, the singing and the dancing is fun. But the, even when they're dancing, they're in character. They're not just like, look, let's all line up and do a big funny dance, you know. And I think that takes some took some finagling because they cut down a lot of scenes. So um, <laughs> the Scarecrows and Dorothy's first scene, if, if I Only Had a Brain, was like 18 minutes long. Oh, my God. It just goes on and on and on and on. So they cut it down to an appropriate length. And then we were talking about how they cut out the jitterbug. Oh, thank God. And the jitterbug was more of a dance montage. So... Um, when the crew is marching through the haunted forest to get to the witch's castle, she makes mention, and they never follow up, that she sent down something to slow them down. A little bug. A little bug. Yeah. Um, and they get, I don't know, what, cursed by the jitterbug and they can't stop dancing? See, that that's so bad. And it's yeah. so perfectly old Hollywood where they would have a moment like that. But you talked about cutting the, the sequences down. Mm-hmm. It's an incredibly lean film. Yeah. For the time. Yep. There's very little fat on the whole movie. I don't... Because usually with the movies of that era, you can pull out a sequence or like, okay, guys, let's, let's move The only scene here. I think I could have done without is um, the scene of inside the tornado. You oh, You could have shown yeah. her on the bed and maybe that like vertigo scene. Yeah. Um, but... And we said that. Yeah, people in the rowboats. Okay, I guess if that is the little bit of fat you could cut. I think it's the obviously wanted to show, look, real world characters are going to be portraying the Oz characters. Yeah, and you don't need to do that. No, you can have have some respect for your audience because, well, let's, before we move on, let's talk about the, the book to the movie translation because the, the movies (laughs) is as famous as the book. And there's some incredible adaptations out there where they really nail the source material. Oddly enough, this is a dog shit adaptation of, it is. It, of the book. It is. So talk, talk to us a little bit about the, the well, book itself and how it compares. It doesn't, really. Like, there's the main story of her going in the tornado. Um, but in terms of the real meat and potatoes of the story, it... MGM kind of went on their own. Yeah. Um, and they cut out so much stuff. So cl- they changed the silver slippers, which they tried to keep. We talked about that already. Mm. Um, but there's so many other characters that were introduced in the book that we never even see. Yeah. So I think that in a way, they trimmed it down in a good way for film. 
especially if it's a children's film. Take the pieces you need, put that on screen. And they've done the same with Harry Potter um, in the past, specifically Book 4, Goblet of Fire. Justice for House Elves. Yeah, where they cut that whole montage out. But if you do get a chance to read the books, you'll find that there is nothing really of Victor Fleming's movie in it except for the main story points. Yes, Dorothy is meets three friends, fi- goes to see the wizard, is sent to deal with the witch, and then finds she could get home all along. That's Bombs, really the basics. And that's all you need. Like, you can do a lot with that, and there's been other adaptations of a similar plot line. Yeah. But Baum wrote these books for... Uh, a sick family member. I can't remember if it was his nurse, niece, or his daughter. His nurse's niece? Yes. She was nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she was lying sick in bed for a long time. I don't know what she had. Um, but One he, of the many terrible things that, that was you could get alive in, back then. Yeah. yeah. She sneezed and her asshole fell out. Yeah. Why? Because it was 1895 <laughs> and it was terrible. That's just what happened. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he wrote these to entertain her, and it wasn't just like he wrote one. There is a series of them. Well, he wrote 14 before he died, and then there was a woman that picked it up. Don't have to do that. I don't. she wrote like 20 of them. And then I think there's been bits like a couple other trickled out after her, but she did the bunch of the... And I haven't even gotten into those ones. Like, I've read a lot of the original ones. Um, and this is a good segue into Return to Oz because that is where we see... Yeah. Frank Bombs, or L. Frank Bombs, and Lyman. Yeah. Um, <laughs> is, wait, 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 wait. Sorry, back that up. What is Frankie's first name? I believe it's Lyman. Lyman. Yeah. Wow. Everything um, sucked back then. Yeah. <laughs> Even the name. This is a family name. <laughs> what do we think? Frank? Or should it rhyme with Lyman? <laughs> Lyman Bomb. Lyman Bomb. <laughs> You rub on your cooch. Yeah, okay. That's we should probably edit that part out. Um, but the tone in Return to Oz and subsequently some of the other um, film adaptations, uh, the cartoons, yeah. uh, the Lion of Oz, all of those things that came out in the eighties and nineties. Well, there was that great nineties cartoon that they did because there's that weird anime that kind of sucked. Yeah, I don't like any. I don't like anyone to touch. My Oz. <laughs> but there was that great 90s cartoon where the opening was Dorothy opening the closet and grabbing her slippers. It was and, okay. Well, comparatively speaking to some other adaptations that have been done. Like The Wiz. Yeah. And Spaceballs. And Spaceballs is Star Wars. Okay, but it's also Dorothy. Do you not remember that scene of her walking with the C-3PO robot and Chewbacca and they make a lot of references to... yeah. I guess well, it's it's one of the Wizard of Oz. Before we move to Return to Oz, the Wizard of Oz is probably, if not the most parodied, in the top two or three most parodied films ever made, ever. And that just shouldn't happen. Um, right. But it's also, but it's the Muppets did one. Well, there's with there's Aisha parody, or Alicia or something. There's parody, and you're being rude and making fun of it. But then there's parody and celebration. How many TV shows have done an Oz episode? Uh, Scrubs actually did an incredible Wizard of Oz episode where it's all about JD trying to get out of the hospital and interacting with everybody. And, and that's okay. Yeah, it, it's it's parody as a celebration. I just, I don't like sense. remakes. Um, I don't think they work. And I am 
going to be so upset when some stupid studio decides it's time to remake The Wizard of Oz because I don't think it is. I don't think there will ever be a time to remake it. Well, they'll, they're always trying. You know, with the, we'll talk about the most recent calamity of an Oz movie at the, at the end of the show. But you were right. We did have a perfect segue, and then I completely fucked it up. You ruined it. Yeah, that's what I do. So speaking of something that a lot of people say ruined Oz, yep. there's our segue. Okay. Let's talk about Return to Oz, a movie that Love I it. find with most people, they either know it and it scared the shit out of them and they still yep. won't watch it, or they respond with, what? Yeah. That's, that's really what I found with people. They've either never heard of it or every single one of them will say, the movie scared the shit out of me as a kid. Yeah. And they then they won't touch it. Marty is in that vein, and then he fell asleep when we re-watched it as adults. I think I might actually like it better. Honestly, I would rather watch Return to Oz than The Wizard of yeah. Oz. It's also because I think you know The Wizard of Oz so well, like as, as members of Western society or just the world is, is at large. You know the whole movie. Like It's part of our kind of DNA, our, our cultural DNA. This Whereas, was our secret yeah, when we were kids. It felt like a movie that was just kind of ours. Yeah. And we showed it to people because after it bombed at the, we'll talk about the flick in a sec, but after it really took a shit at the box it office. Did. It did. I think the budget, initial budget was $28 million and it made 11.1. Yeah. It was a bomb. Until it went to the Asian markets and it exploded. Yeah. As a cult favorite. And they love it over there. Yeah. But it was dumped unceremoniously to video. And there was one release that stuck around for years until, God, the mid-2000s, when they finally did another video release before the DVD. But that was how I... Countless times we would have a friend over or whatever and be like, have you seen Return to Oz? What's that? It never flew with anybody. No. (laughs) So we were crazy. (laughs) Like, why did you want to watch this with me? That's... Everything's terrible. Like, no, it's totally boss. But... So let's put this in some perspective about when it was made. So it was made in 85, and I was doing some research about how it actually came to be made, and some of the studio heads were saying, what do we do? we got to do something. Something big, something new. We're in the recession right now in North America, so we got to, like, pump it. Yeah, we're in the midst of the recession, Reaganomics, Cold War is either... It's either going to end or everyone's going to die by 85. That's where we're at. So... President has Alzheimer's. The Disney (laughs) heads, or some of the big wigs, said well, we haven't touched Oz in a while. And Disney, funnily enough, had just bought um, some of the MGM rights. So they now were able to make The Wizard of Oz. However, they weren't able to use the ruby slippers. They paid through the news yes. for those. So this is kind of the brainchild that grew out of it. Well, how are we going to tackle it? We clearly can't make what came before. No. So we're not even going to try yeah. to do a remake. We're not even going to try to do the same tone because it's not 1939 anymore. It's 1980s. And we're in the in heavy with Muppets and puppetry and really dark, dark crystal, labyrinth, all that stuff is going to yeah. come out within dark crystal was already out we've had dark crystal star wars uh jim henson like you said is in full swing animatronics are in full swing special effects are exploding but it's also a grim time like you said and this is the this is the 80s wizard of oz 
in, in a big way. It's the 80s Winters of Oz, but it really captures what the books were about. Mm. The only thing that they threw in that got a little bit 80s cray was the uh, electroshock therapy which Dorothy is subjected to, <laughs> almost subjected to, at the beginning of the film. Which is so fucking badass. So, um, Aunt M, the film starts off with Aunt M and Uncle Henry deciding that they can't deal, or they can't handle any more of um, Dorothy's delusions. And they got to be proactive about this. So what do they do? They're going to send her to some quack um, who is going to electroshock her and destroy her frontal lobe, thereby destroying any of these visions, visions and reoccurring nightmares she's been yeah. having. Well, it's the start is, is the perfect antithesis to The Wizard of Oz. And the start of a movie should really let you know what you're getting into and what you should expect, like a good prologue. Yeah. And the start of this movie lets you know exactly what's happening. We start with a very somber music score that never really, until the very end, we don't get a fanfare in any way. It's Dorothy's in bed and you hear Ann-M and them complaining and they don't know what to do and won't take charity. This is the real world consequences of Dorothy's magical time in Oz and Mm -hmm. Tornado. It's That's what the whole movie feels like. It's just a real world reaction. What would this actually be like? In 1899. Because yeah. it's just before the turn of the century. Yeah. What would happen if a young girl came back from a head injury spouting nonsense? Yeah. They and lobotomize you lost her. House. And your farm's in danger of being foreclosed because a tornado ripped through it. And you've got an injury that maybe still there, maybe not. It's so grim. Dorothy just had to go home. And this is the reality she woke back up in. Yeah, and it's real. That's realistic to me, and that is what um, Lyman does in the books. I'm gonna keep using the word. You call him Lyman. <laughs> Lyman FB. Um, <laughs> that's really what it presents itself like. But instead, in the books, um, Uncle Henry is taking Dorothy. I don't know if it's to Chicago or so. They go on a ship, or maybe they're going to London. I can't really remember. But he's trying to get her out of her funk. Yeah, and takes her on a trip. Um, with a chicken. Well, because this is a combination of the second and the third book. So it's a combination of the Marvelous Land of Oz and Ozma of Oz. Yeah. They've also worked in TikTok storyline, which comes from another book. Well, because aren't Jack and TikTok in the Marvelous Land of Oz? Yeah, they are. But yeah. they, some of the elements of TikTok, they borrowed from other books. Yeah. And, but most of the story... Because Dorothy isn't in the sequel. No. Most of this movie is based off of Ozma of Oz. Yes. Right? A good chunk of it mm-hmm. is follows the plot in its own way. So you had talked a bit about the making of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's very important to point out. It's not something I knew. Oh, why the hell would I have known this as a child? But this movie was directed. It's the one and only feature directing credit of Walter Murch. And if you are interested in film in any way, or just art in any way, you need to familiarize yourself with Walter Murch. He literally wrote the book on film editing. It's called In the Blink of an Eye, and you don't have to be a filmmaker to read it and enjoy it. It's it's like 150 pages, and it's one of the most incredible reads I've ever had. The way he talks about the art of editing and the crafting of images and emotions... And just go find a copy. You can find it at a used bookstore, buy it new, whatever. The man is an absolute genius. 
And it's so sad for me that he never directed again, but I know He almost didn't direct this one. He got kicked off production. A couple of times. Yeah, because it was taking too long. And it was George Lucas, actually, Mm -hmm. who saved the day. Because at this point, it's important to remember, this is all pre-prequel George Lucas, where he was still Hollywood's genius. Darling, yeah. So he knew Walter Murch. Obviously, they were friends. And he went to them and said, leave him alone. Let him work for another two weeks or so. Because he knew that there was his setups were almost done. And he was going to bring footage because he'd seen the dailies. And he's like, this is amazing. Like, we can't yeah. touch this. And if he fucks it up again, you're not happy. I'll come in and take over and finish directing. What horror nightmare of a world would it be if George Lucas had have made Return to Oz? Oh, I don't think I would have liked it. We wouldn't have. It would have been, well, the Ewok movies. It would have yeah. just been absolutely terrible. But as a thank you, and to this day, the original TikTok puppet still resides in the cafeteria atrium at Skywalker Ranch. Oh. Yeah. It sits on this island in the middle of this lake that's in the middle of the cafeteria. Oh, my God. Yeah. So the original TikTok is still there. But, okay. So we've we've established the world and the trauma and everything. Let's Let's get into the movie itself. The major creep factor here is that... A nine-year-old Feruza Balk looks so insanely like Jack at nine <laughs> that it's almost terrifying to watch because we'll, we should try and find some photos. Yeah, and I have a couple specifically that I know that will work. You put them up side by side. They're obviously two different people, but in a crowd... You probably have trouble picking out who was Susan before Feruza really grew into her mouth. Got a little crazy. (laughs) Then don't get me wrong. I love Feruza. Yeah, she's great. I think she's a phenomenal actress. And I had, and when she was older, because you two aged the hell away from each other. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, you couldn't look any different now. But I had a bit of crush on Feruza Balk as an adult because she's just so. In the craft, yeah, she's nutty. Oh yeah. Um, Do you think that? Kind of the fact that there was such, and the fact that also Jack's best friend, Crystal Lindsay, looked so much like Ozma. Ozma, yeah. Do you think any of that played into it? I think it may have. So, you know how you always gravitate towards people where there's representation. Yeah. And maybe that's why I like Judy Garland. She's not blonde, she's not as tall and statuesque, which I was neither, neither of those things and never will be. <laughs> Uh, I've been blonde, but not statuesque. <laughs> um, I think I really found myself in that version of Dorothy, which is very much like the books. She's not small and meek. She's not a little farm girl. Dorothy breaks the hell out of that mental institution that she's put in, throws herself in a raging current river, and then in the just middle of a storm, yeah, bams her way through Oz until the very end. Yeah. So I did, yeah, like seeing somebody that looked like me. And then acted how I would have acted with a lot of questioning, a lot of curiosity, a lot of like, I haven't done anything to you. Like, what the heck? Yeah, what's your problem? Yeah. And then, but making decisions and she's actively involved in the plot this time. Yeah. Because you can, you can easily make the argument that she had no intention of doing anything to the witch. That was a complete accident. She was trying to help the scarecrow. And some water. Well, she just kind of cries there in the tower and feeling sorry for herself instead of looking for a way out. Like, yeah. Wait she waits for, for her rescue. friends. She waits for the men to do something, which mm-hmm. is very indicative of the time. But this time when Dorothy's locked in the tower by a headless witch who has 30 other heads in a cabinet, baller. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> just she so goes for it, up. though. She's the one that sneaks down. Yeah. She, her, all of her friends are in some way are bumbling idiots and need her. Jack yeah. needs her to put him together again. TikTok needs her to constantly wind him up. Um, the Gump needs her to create. Physically put her together. Yeah. Him together. And then she stands, that scene where she stands up against the Gnome King at the Gnome King's Mountain, and he's like, well, what are you going to do? How are you going to get the slippers back? And she's like, well, then I will fight you with my army. Yeah. And like, stone-faced. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, girl. Yeah. Yes. She's you talking know what I'm to a about. giant face that's mad at her in the she's side of care. a mountain, and she's like, no, I got, I got, you know, gimpy pumpkin head there, and my fat robots, and we're gonna and get it done. And her chicken, like, and she yeah. is, she doesn't care that it's a talking chicken. I feel like Judy Garland's Dorothy would be, she would faint or have hysteria or something. Her Dorothy would have never made it out of the institution. No. Like to be honest. Even well, look she, at Judy Garland herself. Like yeah. she never made it Ooh. out, and. Don't get me wrong, mental health and addiction are a serious thing, yeah. and I really do love Judy Garland. It's tragic what happened to her. And the studio manufactured they her did, addictions. They did, but Judy Garland, Dorothy, was incompetent in terms of dealing with yeah. what really went on in Oz. Well, she's reactionary. She never yeah. actually does anything. She doesn't take action, whereas this Dorothy the whole time is is doing something. And... And I think you are completely right when you when you see a young role model like that, especially for you to get to see a young female role model mm-hmm. like that, which I find it always heartbreaking when movies like this are looked over and kind of buried. Yeah. Because, yes, the, the amount of representation wasn't there at the time, but there were these beautiful little glimmers of, of movies where you have, I look at this, even though the tone couldn't be any more different, the Anna Green Gables movies, yeah. the DV movies, those are such proactive, strong female characters. And this movie was swept under the rug Canada, for some reason, has spent the last 30 years stripping Anne of all of her oh, power. Oh, the new remake is horrific. And But Dorothy here is just so on the ball. And the she movie is still it. so fun to watch. And it's... I, I watch this movie quite regularly, actually. I probably watch it a few times a year. Yeah. But it's fun because we're going into this in critical mode. To look back and see the things you took from it. And this is probably one of the earliest, in some sequences, horror movie I ever saw. It and would be. that grim darkness, even as, as a little boy, I found that very appealing. I loved it. And the, it was echoed in the labyrinth um, yep. as well. Like, again, I didn't gravitate towards that as much as I did to this one. Um, but it, those elements of... Um, you made mention of that scene at the end of being like Bosch's Garden of Earthly Delights. Hell and fire and brimstone is clearly falling from the sky. Yeah. Horrific, horrific imagery. There's this creepy anthropomorphic um, statements with the gump and Jack and all of these animals and robots that are turning into these half-creature people. Yeah, and then the gnomes coming out of the walls. It's hella scary. And he's threatening to throw her in his fiery furnace. Yeah. And just, um, I'm just going to eat my limestone pie. Which, by the way, still looks so delicious. I know. I'm, Dry and yeah. crumbly. <laughs> well, kind of like a really good cheesecake. Yeah. <laughs> I want to eat one so bad. You know I the kind know where you need like are. some kind of liquid after because it's like yeah. sitting on your tongue? Sip of your coffee. Your, uh, what is it, hot melted silver? Yeah. It's just everything about it is so intense. And I've 
there was a whole burst of stuff in the 80s like that. You mentioned Labyrinth. Goonies is another one, even though yes. it's a little more yeah, upbeat. Yeah. Where you had young people put in situations of real peril. You know, Dorothy in the original is never really in trouble. She's, well, she's in trouble, but I don't think we she's don't ever know really what, in danger. The witch doesn't want to kill her. The witch just wants to take her shoes. Yeah. <laughs> she and just, if she dies in the meantime, well, meh. Yeah, she's just trying to jack a bitch. That's all she's trying Except to do. Except <laughs> for what they did to the scarecrow, because that, like... Okay, when the monkeys <laughs> disembowel the scarecrow, there's someone me over there, and someone me over here, and I'm all over the Tin Man's fucking shoes. Oh, my God. No wonder Dad was so terrified of the monkeys. <laughs> just think, that's the one beat that's pretty similar. Do I have to say, that whole Dark Forest scene in the original... When you think about that, they came armed with a gun, a gun, uh, a net, and a big old wrench. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna womp some monkeys, not even including the axe. But to return to Oz, she, Dorothy's in not just in trouble; she's in active peril. Yeah, she's in danger. The she's in, even in danger when the Gnome King dies, and she's gonna get crushed to death by yeah, that falling rock. Yeah. The entire movie, from the real world, she doesn't transition mm-hmm. into kind of a fun sense of danger. She's acting actually in more danger in the real world in Oz than she is in the Which real world. Which confuses me. So that was the one thing a character beat that I didn't get. Why the hell? Would you want to go back to that hellhole with those people that tried to kill you so savagely or lobotomize you? Well, that's the thing is we know as an audience what electroshock therapy and everything is. But Dorothy doesn't really know. But I also think having gone through this ordeal this time, when she goes back, she's stronger. She actually achieved a real victory this time. I suppose. So she's not kind of going, staying this. Even the chicken knows better. She ain't going back to that barnyard. (laughs) The chicken is another thing we should talk about, too. Okay, we have to talk about Belina. Nice little worm here. (laughs) There's very little comedy in Return to Oz. It is gunmetal gray of a film. But Belina, the talking chicken is just snapping Rodney Dangerfield-esque one-liners or uh, any of those 50s Borscht Belt comedians. She's rude. Like, she'll... Like, oh, some of the lines, I can't just even remember. Any, just, I'm sure there's, I'll try and find like some kind of supercut of Belina's sassiness. Because she never stops zipping off at people. It doesn't matter if it's the, the Gnome King or Mombi or... People who've lost people, their heads. Yeah, she's, they're in peril or in trouble. You know, like when she, even just shit that shouldn't be funny. Like when winds up TikTok. I wonder what he's thinking about. Like yeah. It's just, it's, you know... It's stuff that's not terribly funny, but just the way she says it all. Like when they, perfect example, when they pick the lunch pail tree, which actually started my obsession with ham sandwiches. Oh. I'm not lying. That was the first time I, like it's obviously you have a ham sandwich when you're a kid, but every time I would eat a triangled ham sandwich, I would pretend that I was getting it out of a lunch pail that's tree. That's amazing. And she's like, and Dora's like, and a ham sandwich. And you hear Belina say, I'm glad it's not fried chicken. Yeah. <laughs> Every word out of her mouth almost is a quip. And I'm pretty sure that that particular scene is verbatim from yeah. one of the books, The Marvelous Land of Oz. Ozma. Ozma. Anything with Dorothy right. from that. Um, and it's funny that Belina is the comedic, unsuspecting hero because she's the one that saves them. Yep. Spoiler alert. Um, yeah. she, saves, she saves Dorothy at almost every turn. Yeah. 
She saves her from the wheelers by reminding her to use the key. Yeah. She's the one with the egg, as you heard at the top of the episode. Gnome King, don't fuck with eggs. Yeah. They're right. allergic, highly, highly allergic, allergic. to eggs. Yeah. <laughs> and it's because of Belina hiding in Jack's head. Gnome King tries to eat Jack. She, <laughs> having a nervous bowel, <laughs> ends up... <laughs> Finally lays her egg. Laying an oh, egg. Oh, my egg! <laughs> <laughs> but again, it's another female character yes. that assists Dorothy. You know, TikTok, yes, he stomps all the wheelers, but that's his major contribution to it. The Jack, I think, is there more so as an emotional anchor for Support. her because yeah. she can't have that emotional relationship with TikTok, even though when he cries, it is the most heartbreaking thing oh, in the world. Oh, that green tear. Yeah. But there is nothing as sad as Brian Henson's voice doing Jack. because. Dorothy. May I call you mom, even if it isn't so? Just, he's so perfectly innocent. Like, if you ask somebody to say, what does the perfect innocent voice sound like? It's Jack Pumpkinhead from Return to Oz. Yeah, for sure. And the fact that it's Brian Henson is all the better, because, of course, a Henson could radiate that warmth from a character that is just sticks. And kind of Freaking creepy. Like, yeah. how many times have we seen the imagery of a crazed Jack Pumpkinhead? Well, that's, there is, you can't convince me that Jack Pumpkinhead or Jack Skellington from Night Before Christmas isn't directly taken from Return Oh, he has to be. Because Burton was working at Disney at the time. Yeah. Like, he was at the studio at the and time. And if you are deep into that kind of stuff, the, the Burton-esque stuff, you're going to find these cult classics. Yeah. And be, you can't help but be inspired by them. No, especially this movie, because there is so much. If you want to watch her journey, you can go on and just watch the journey that Dorothy goes on. The effects, other than some mats around some images that you can kind of see nowadays, yeah. the effects are still incredible. The They actually got an Oscar nod yes, they did. for it because of the stop motion. Uh, I think Feruza and the girl who played... Ozma, they didn't get Oscar nods, but they were nominated for a youth award, and they lost out to Was a, it a Spirit Award? Could have been. Could have been. But the the effects of the gnomes on the rocks are still so incredible. And mm-hmm. the, the fact that that is stop-motion animation of the gnomes... Well, there's, there's some traditional animation, but the faces talking in the rocks, and it's so delightfully heavy for a kid's movie that... It makes you feel like an adult. Because well, and maybe that's what we loved about it. Yeah. You're being trusted with this. Because mom and dad didn't often sit and watch it with no. us. No. Mom, maybe. Yeah. Like, sometimes she'd pop in and out. But, you know, they saw it, so they went away. But it was a movie that's like, okay, kids. And you kind of, at least for me, in the right mood when we were little watching it, it kind of felt like Bastion taking... The, oh, the never-ending never story, story is another one we didn't even talk about had the similar tone. Yeah. But and it's exactly like that. But that's kind of what it feels like. You're having... That's why something like the never-ending story is so perfect, because when you find a good movie or a story, you feel like Bastion in mm-hmm. the first book, that you're along for this journey. Yeah. And, you know, all of us sitting in the basement watching Return to Oz in the dark, you feel like you're going along with Dorothy and you're having her successes and suffering her setbacks and her terror because Headless Mommy is still so fucked. Like, <laughs> just, you know, and Sawyer, that... 
wasn't scared. Couldn't have given a shit. No. He thought mm. the wheeler, he knew the wheelers are creepy because he kept calling them the rolly guys. Yeah. And who's that woman in the pink dress who's not nice? Mommy. But he he sat there at that end scene and I was like, ooh, I'm going to run defense here. And he yeah. just had his finger in his mouth and was like, oh, yeah. okay. As the Gnome King is literally rising out of hell and he's a giant rock skull. Yeah. No. And he's going to eat them all and eats half of the gump. No, nothing. Couldn't have cared. The heads screaming in the cases, which is still amazing. But I I wish there was camera footage of those pitch meetings. Because how the hell... <laughs> Thank you, Bob, because this... I'm so glad you brought this up. How you could get it passed. Because anyone that's seen Return to Oz knows exactly what we're talking about. This is Disney, okay? This is Walt Disney Studios. <laughs> And I could just imagine these moments of like, you know, so Walter, you're the greatest editor of all time. Uh, what what are we gonna do here? How sh- how should we end the movie? Well, the um, I think the uh, the giant rock skull, rock skull, Walter, get giant rock skull. Follow me, okay? I'm talking. Should rise up out of uh, fire and then uh, fucking eat everybody. <laughs> I, I I think that'd be really good. No, my only money. Like I just that's all I can hear is this. What they must have just been flabbergasted by these things he was bringing. Well, up. he you, co-wrote the script. Yeah, if you say it out loud yeah. and you try and portray it to someone, especially in the beginning when you—that's what you lead with. Well, Oz, turn to Oz picks up where the other one left off. Yeah. And, so the witch in the first one had uh, one scary head. <laughs> how, how are we going to differentiate Princess Mombi? Because uh, she's a crone in the book, so we don't want to do another old crone. What could we do? Wow. What if? <laughs> follow me on this, fellas. What if? She had 30 fucking heads. <laughs> and they all stared at you in a glass cabinet. You're gonna, uh, you know, we'll get the camera in there. It'll be good. And uh, and then she took the fucking head off in front of Dorothy, <laughs> talked to the head, then put it on. Yeah. Okay? And then, uh, and then what? Well, I think the headless body should terrorize the young girl. Terrorize her. Okay? Chase her through the castle. <laughs> and then when she has to get... Okay, she's going to meet... Don't get the original mommy. Who's the crazy bitch from the asylum? Get it? <laughs> See, it's poetry. It's poetry. Trust me. It'll yeah. be good. And then what's going to... Well, she's going to wake the head up. What's the head going to do? Try and fucking bite it. <laughs> And she steals the Parmesan cheese and makes the cup go. (laughs) This is basically the movie. Like, if you think about all this insanity that he had to sit there with the Disney execs and get everyone to say yes. Trust me. Yeah, trust me. It's going to be good. It's going to be a little funny, but kids are tough. Kids are tough. We're going to get the DDTs and the crack. Well, crack's not yet, but it'll be good. Like, just... No, and when you put it in perspective like that, it is so, yeah. so messed up. But you could, so beautiful. You could easily do it lighter. You could take yes. the exact same movie, but do it much lighter. Like Dorothy sees glimpses of Mombi changing heads. She, the wheelers could easily be toned down. Just take the insane laughter out and the squeaky Horrible wheel. Horrible squeaky wheel. Yeah, you take that out. The wheelers aren't so bad. There's well, little... they don't do anything. They're not actually dangerous. No, they're just trying to chop into little fucking pieces. <laughs> and then what? They're going to pitch them in the sand. That's going to be great. <laughs> like, that's... There's all these little decisions they could have made to kind of soften it up. But at no point... Nope. It's just Walter walked on set and put middle, in the, middle fingers in the air merch. And it's yeah. just like, fuck kids. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. And just an absolute masterclass on editing, directing, and tone. 
it's well, you remember when we watched this is gonna be a stark comparison, but you remember when we watched Martyrs way back. Yes. That is a movie that is an exercise in tone because that movie sits on your chest and never lets up. Yeah. In fact, it actually gets heavier, you know, like very, give me my name, more stones, crucible style. Wizard of Oz is a perfect tonal film. It never loses its tone throughout the whole thing. At, at one point, there's never a scene where you're like, oh, there's no groaners, there's no nothing. No. It actually gets worse. Well, and the fact that they, they play it so straight-faced. Yeah. Like, if this isn't a joke. Some people would watch it and think it's a joke. Fair enough. Yeah. But they they played it straight. It was Disney straight. <laughs> as straight as Disney could be. Yeah. That's going in a weird spot. Yeah. Um, but you get what I'm saying. They they weren't making fun of Wizard of Oz. They weren't doing a parody. Nope. They weren't trying to recreate it. What they were trying to do is set the tone that the books did. Yeah. And hopefully starting off getting to do more of them, but it completely tanked because by this point... I think you, film reacts, right? You can only react to its culture, or to the times. So that's why you see, I can, I can really only reference horror, but during times of a lot of civil unrest and things about politics, you usually get a really good burst in horror. Uh, While well, Wizard of Oz or Return to Oz is coming up, the slasher craze is kicking off, and you're having this whole big boom in horror. Then it got kind of quiet through the 90s because everything was okay. And then the early 2000s, you had another great big kick mm-hmm. in horror. And this is, you know, the era of grim sequels. You know, Day of the Dead came out at insane the exact same year, and people, it was a reaction to the 80s, but people were still so dialed into the party pie fight atmosphere of Dawn of the Dead that they were mad at it. Right. With The Wizard of Oz, because it's so bubbly and upbeat, this movie hit way more tonally different than Dawn Today. And people were like, no, this isn't my Wizard of Oz. Yeah. And, it, and, that's, and that I have to blame on not actually understanding what it is. And not advertising and, it right either. Yes. And Disney did understand what Lyman was doing. They really did with mm-hmm. his books, and they, they just, I, I'm i glad they did it, but I, I totally understand why it flopped. And if you watch the trailers, it doesn't tell you what the movie's going to be. It tells you the story. Dorothy's going and having technically an adventure. If I took my young children to see this without actually knowing what it was about, I would have been livid. That's what happened. People yeah. got pissed. So Especially word of mouth Disney poisoned film. it. And that's unfortunate because it really is brilliant. Feruza Balk, this was her first movie and she was nine years old and her acting is flawless. Yeah. You believe it. And especially with all the the youth actors now that are over the top, the Nickelodeon crap that comes out, Mm -hmm. they're horrible. And to no fault of their own, this is what the audience is buying. That's the style. Yeah. Um, But she was good. She's got this terrible sadness that she carries and only really sheds through victory and success. Yeah. She has to literally peel away this old Dorothy and becomes even when you to when we finally get to the end and you see her as a whole person. Well, her life is tragic. Her parents yeah. died. Yeah. <laughs> she has to go live in the dust bowl with loveless yeah. um extended family, but I think it's just overall, it's a beautiful, beautiful film. Um, and there have 
been attempts to recreate some of that tonal stuff. So I'm gonna. Do you have any more things to say about about movie? Return to Oz? The only major thing I can say is if you saw it as a kid and it scared the shit out of you, find it. Uh, the The DVD is cheap. It's not expensive to get anymore. Disney keeps it in print pretty regularly now. Track it down. You owe it to yourself. You owe it to your kids if you're if you're a parent. You owe it to yourself as a film fan. Uh, just as a student of the culture, go and watch it. If you like Labyrinth, Dark Crystal, The Goonies, The NeverEnding Story, this is part of that it group. Is. It's the long-lost sibling, but it is intrinsically part of that group and it might actually be the best of the bunch. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I agree. So, should um, we talk about some of the other ill-fated attempts at Ozzing? Well, I did I not that I think they're ill-fated. So, I really really liked um Maguire's Wicked. Oh, the book series. Rec- yeah. Yeah. Um it got out of control near the end. Um and now Wicked has jumped to fame with the Broadway adaptation. Yeah. Um which it's okay. It's good. It's great. I saw it. I saw it with Kristen Chenoweth. It's okay. Chenoweth. It's good or it's great. Where you're really running the gamut. So, okay. So, I when I read Wicked, I didn't see a musical. They made it into a Broadway musical, and I was fortunate enough to see Kristen Chenoweth as Glinda and, um, shoot, I forget who originally portrayed the Wicked Witch. I couldn't You know you. her. She's a really, really, she uh, was the voice of Elsa uh, Frozen. Oh, the ice lady. Yes. Oh, as John Travolta would say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know exactly. Um, and it was it was beautiful on its own, and the book is incredible. It's detailed. It takes you to another side of Oz. It's almost fan fiction esque. Like it, yeah. it is. Like um, it takes you to a place where you get the backstories of all of these people that you think you know, um, and it was wonderfully done. The sequels after that not so strong. Um, but on that same line, you and I both just read a series recently, a YA series. Yes. Started the, with Dorothy Must Die. Yes. What do you think is that's kind of now the moniker for the series? Is yeah. The Dorothy Must Die series. And started strong. And then kind of pissed itself down its leg. Only because of the, unfortunately, what I would consider the skill of the author. Yeah. Or the editors and people supervising it all. I Be- think it seems like they rushed her into yeah. pushing out volumes of this series. So what this does, so what Wicked does is it gives you the backstory before Dorothy ever gets there yeah. of why the Wicked Witch is Wicked, why Glinda is the way she is. So we don't even meet Dorothy. In Dorothy Must Die, we meet Dorothy and we see how absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah. And... Do you want to describe what it yeah. essentially is? Yeah, what it essentially is is what if Dorothy didn't go back? What if we kind of picked up after she'd gone back to Kansas, thought it sucked balls, so she came back to Oz and was greeted as a hero? So it would be kind of like what if at the end of Return to Oz she just stayed? Mm-hmm. What if she didn't go home? And she starts to get very power drunk on the magic and everything that's available. Like Hitler-esque power Oz. drunk. Which, in the books, you get more of a sense of the the magical nature of the place. And she goes fucking insane. Uh, And, like, Hitler-esque is very true. The scarecrow becomes a mad scientist. Torture and human experiments. It's it's a very Nazi-esque version of Oz. And we have a new character that's caught up in it, comes to Oz, 
and meets the Wicked Witches, who are the Order of the Wicked or whatever. And it's uh, Mombi and... Glamora. Glamora. And who's the, Glinda's twin sister. Yeah. And then you, throughout the books, there are some awesome scenes. Uh, yeah. When they go to Polychrome, uh, mm-hmm. to her, her waterfall castle and everything in the clouds. There's some great stuff, especially in the first book, because you can tell that she took the time, she researched it, she had her plot locked in, she knew where she was going to go. And then the other three are really all over the place. The second one feels like it's just three scenes stretched over a book. The third one is with Polychrome and the war is better. Yeah. And then the last book, might be one of the worst pieces of shit I've ever yeah. read. <laughs> it really <laughs> panders to the YA genre, which I start out liking books in YA, and then they just play into the girl meets boy, girl loses boy. I keep looking at his ass. He's so cute. Girl needs to get boy back before she feels complete. And there's so much return to Oz in the last book because Dorothy hooks up with the Gnome King, and it's a very return to Oz style Gnome King. Oh, yeah, King. it's creepy. And so for me, I'm like, oh, shit. And they keep talking about Mommy, Richard, and fucking our daffy hero. Just 90% of the book is them getting ready to go. And then we get some Dorothy perspective. And it's unnecessary. It's unfortunately, I would consider that a wasted opportunity Mm -hmm. because that world of a, because Todd McFarlane did a series of figures in the early 2000s, The Twisted Land of Oz. Right, yeah. That side of Oz, of a hero coming in like very much like Return to Oz to a ruined Oz is a very appealing idea. And I think in the hands of maybe this author with a with a stronger editorial team and more time and not a YA voice. Well, and Lyman did that because there were sections of Oz, uh, the quadling zone no one ever wanted to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was... All the deadly desert. Yeah, the um, land of Ev. Which the is land gross. of Ev is horrible. So he did that. He set that in place. So if you really want to read Oz fiction, go back and read the original books. Yeah. Um, don't look for the punched up YA versions because it's just not going to be satisfying. No, you'll get pieces, but overall you'll feel let down. Something else that will let you down and don't bother watching it is Oz the Great and Powerful. Oh, what the I forgot that fuck even happened. Happened there. We went, Ugh. I think, like opening weekend, uh, me and Jack and her son Logan. And Loke sat there, smiled, tickled pink. I had some hope because it was Sam Raimi directing. And I think within 10 minutes, we kind of looked over at each other and we're like, we're in trouble. Because originally, it was supposed to be Robert Downey Jr. playing the wizard. Oh, that would have been so good. So much better. Because also, he he's a very, I want to say controlling, but he's a very intense collaborator. So he's always changing things and pushing things and trying to find the character. James Franco is as passive as dishwater. Oh, he's horrible. And, the, and they uh, didn't own the rights to any of the classic things, so they couldn't even mention... Um, certain terms in the way that they were done originally. And it's just another story of a man was mean to me, now I'm evil. What a way to completely destroy any power that the Wicked Witch of the West has. And Mila has. Kunis as the Wicked Witch? No. Yeah. No. No. Like, the idea, like, that. the only really interesting part is when she cries and it burns her face. I thought that was kind of cool. And um, JD is the little... Uh, 
the little glass, the, man the little glass or the soldier puppet that follows him around. The oh, okay. Zachraft does the voice, so that was quite cute. It was a, it was a nightmare. Yeah, there's some scenes that are kind of cool. There's some very Raimi esque stuff that he does in it, but overall, it was again a wasted opportunity, which kind of seems to be the case with a lot of Oz stuff. Then don't touch it. Yeah. Just leave it alone and let it stand where it is. Don't make it about making money. Make it about making memories. Yeah. Watch the film. <laughs> Watch the film. Watch. I can't comment on The Wiz. I know it has a massive cult following. Uh, and I've, I've, I've never seen it. I have, and it's horrific in every way. <laughs> So, yeah, if, if you want to really enjoy Oz, watch the first one, watch Return to Oz, and make your own judgment call. You might hate Return to Oz. You might absolutely hate what they did with it. And that's fine. You don't have to dig it. I We both Loved agree it. that it's absolutely fucking amazing. So we haven't really stayed on point for this because it turns out that we both really like it. Yeah. But I think we're also discussing a lot of things around it that are interesting. Yeah. And as the show's going along, we might not always stay specifically on point of, why do you think this makes us a different Jack? Yeah. So you might not get a lot of that, but we'll do it when we can. Can we do Quotely Corner? Yes. Do you have a Quotely Corner? I would like you to do Quotely Corner. It's okay. I didn't prep you for this. I want you to do, because I'm thinking like, yeah, we could do There's No Place Like Home, blah, blah, blah. Everybody does that. I want you to say Walter Murch's It's Okay, Disney. <laughs> okay. So for this week's Quotely Corner. This week's Quotely Corner brought to you by uh, Walter Merch. So Walter, the uh, the 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 wheelers are, are going to do what? It's okay, Disney. It's okay. They're, uh, they're gonna they're, see, they got squeaky fucking wheels. Okay, squeaky wheels. <laughs> Razor sharp fucking wheels. Okay, <laughs> Razor. Wouldn't they get dull? Oh, it's us. It's magical. It's fucking magical. Okay, it's gonna be okay, Disney. It's gonna be okay. They're gonna get the little girl. Cut her the fuck up. Kill the chicken. <laughs> Scene. <laughs> Trust me, Disney. It's Trust me, gonna Disney. Be okay. It's gonna be great. Everything, uh, everything's gonna be fine. Yeah. <laughs> so there you have it, folks. Yeah, that's it. That is that is all the Oz that's fit to print. So um, we want to thank you guys for sticking with us with <laughs> this one. Thank you so much. Yeah, we had this was a lot of fun. I've been looking forward to this episode I have quite a bit. I I knew. As we were approaching Fear and Loathing, I'm like, this isn't going to go well. But no. I felt uh, this was going to be fun, and it's exactly the fun I wanted to have with it. So Sweet. next month, we have two episodes coming next month, and September is a little special because it happens to be Jack's birthday month. Woo! Yeah. Walter Rich came yeah. out. Walter March. <laughs> Happy fucking birthday. <laughs> we don't even know if he actually sounds like no, that. He doesn't at all. I've heard Walter Murch speak. He's <laughs> so dignified. Right. <laughs> like, I'm not, don't get me wrong. Any film people, don't get me wrong. Walter Murch is a genius and he's dignified. And I could hear him speak all day. But the movie's so bad shit, I can only hear him going, uh, it's fine. <laughs> Everything's fine. Yeah. Give me great. <laughs> so, for, uh, for Jack's birthday month, I'm going to cut up with a little fucking pieces. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, next month is... All Jack, all the time. She has programmed and requested both these episodes. So, how will we be starting off episode six for September? We will be starting off episode six in the depths of the Atlantic Ocean, Damn. off the coast Come of right. New York. <laughs> uh, we are going to be watching 1997's Titanic. Yes. That was, if you don't know, if you weren't there you don't get it. No. Uh, and I, I seem there's like this running theme of like, Jack, this was your 
this was your go-to. And they all seemed to be like, this defined you as a person. <laughs> <laughs> Wizard of Oz. Girl who owned a city. Yeah, fucking Titanic. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but it did. They all did. I I loved it. We'll get more into it um, next time we meet. And for episode number seven, just nope. so you, Oh, we're not allowed to do that. No, we'll... I we'll, thought you were going to tell them what the birthday month was all about. Well, no. I'm just saying it's all fucking about you. Like, okay, so Titanic. Yeah, Titanic and then... Plus one. Plus one. And then something. <laughs> Something. We're just going to watch Billy Zane movies the whole time. Oh, That's God. what we're going to do. We're going to watch The Phantom. Uh, no, so uh, I, honest to Christ, haven't watched Titanic all the way through in maybe five years. Okay, years. So well, it's going to be an adventure. It's going to be fun. So uh, bone up on your Titanic. Uh, don't be surprised if you know how the movie ends. Don't be sad. That's why so, Granddad said he'd never watch it. Yeah. <laughs> why would I watch it? I know how it ends. <laughs> <laughs> and only he could get away with saying that. But we want to thank you guys again very much for thank joining you. us for our trip down the Yellow Brick Road. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. Uh, please uh, feel free to send us a message, comment, like. Uh, we are up on iTunes now. Uh, we're still on SoundCloud, which is probably where you're hearing us now. Uh, remember to like, share the show with your friends. Talk about them, please. Make them watch Return to Oz. Yeah. Yeah. Say, hey, man, you should watch Return to Oz. And then... Listen to this great show called 14 Months Apart. But once again, thank you guys very much for joining us. And remember, a lot can change in 14 months.